0: If you're interested in Satanism, how Satanism developed, the left-hand path and esoteric Satanism and how the figure of Lucifer got reinterpreted in a more positive way, stay tuned because you're just about to find out. Hi everyone, I'm Dr Angela Puca and welcome back to my symposium. I'm a PhD and a university lecturer and this is your online resource for the academic study of magic, esotericism, shamanism, paganism, satanism and other things occult. Today I have a very special guest here. Uh, We are just about to start the SWE conference which is the conference of the European Society for the Study of Western Esotericism at University College Cork in Ireland and my special guest is uh, Dr Per (laughs) Faxnelt, Associate Professor in the Study of Religions at Soderton University in Stockholm and he specializes in Satanism, the figure of the devil and uh, also feminist outlooks on Satanism. You're the author of Satanic Feminism yes Uh, so yeah that's a a big text i will put um his books on screen so and uh, also look in the info box because you will see the references and the links to his publications so today we will be talking about a very um I don't know, um, difficult topic? It's not really difficult, but it's more. um, Contested, shall we say. Contested, Mm. yes. I was trying to find a polite way of saying that uh, it's um, a challenging topic to address because, you know, there are so many, um, you know, even feelings on the part of people when it comes to Satanism, the figure of Satan, the figure of the devil. So, but here we are, you know, all about the academic study of this topic. So, the first thing that I'd like to ask you, Per, is. What is Satanism? And when did it start? Mm,
1: that's a pretty, pretty big and broad question, of <laughs> course. Um,
0: yeah, so that the audience can have an overview.
1: Sure. Uh, there are, of course, multiple academic attempts to define what is Satanism. Um, but the, um, the definition that I tend to operate with is that Satanism is the, uh, shall we say, reverence or adoration or uh, positive interpretation of the figure of the devil or satan or lucifer the figure of course has many names uh, formulated as a more or less coherent system of thought Mm -hmm. so that's a a pretty pretty basic definition for you Um, and of course uh, there's a lot that could be subsumed under this heading and There are also groups that might not be too keen themselves on being labeled satanic that could also fit with this definition. Uh, So we have to bear in mind that this is uh, what we would call an etic definition as opposed to an emic definition. So it's not necessarily the insider definition, but rather a scholarly construct that we as scholars work with to delimit a phenomenon that we want to study. Um, Now, in my book, Satanic Feminism, I um, further divide Satanism into two categories, where one is Satanism in the strict sense, which would be a system of thought primarily focusing on a positive reinterpretation of Satan. And the second one would be Satanism in a more broad sense, where um, the positive reinterpretation is just employed strategically as part of a much larger system which may encompass other gods or entities, uh, and where Satan is not the primary one, uh, or it could be part of a uh, a political strategy, for example. Hmm. That that was the first part of your question, yeah? (laughs) (laughs) And the second one is, when does Satanism start? Uh, And again, that depends on if we're talking about Satanism in the strict sense, like a a complete system of thought focusing on uh, this positive interpretation of Satan. Uh, That is, in fact, a lot later than you might think. Uh, But the more broad version of Satanism uh, has its beginnings in the uh, late 18th century with romantic poets, Uh, poets who were uh, typically political radicals and who were enthusiastic readers of John Milton's Mm -hmm. um, epic Paradise Lost. And, of course, in Paradise Lost, uh, John Milton Gives a portrayal of Lucifer, which, at the outset, comes across as quite heroic. Later on, of course, it's it's revealed that his his motives are base and he is a, a fairly um, unpleasant, cowardly character. Uh, but in the early parts of Paradise Lost, there's this sort of uh, seeming lauding almost of the figure of Lucifer, and. Reading Milton as being positive towards the devil was was something that people had been doing for quite a while, actually um, in the uh, immediate time of when it was written, uh, because Milton himself was the the private secretary of Oliver Cromwell, the the revolutionary against the crown in England. Uh, So people understood quite early on Paradise Lost as an allegory uh, of the the English Civil War, uh, where uh, God would be the monarch. And Lucifer would be Cromwell, the revolutionary. Um, and this is why it was understood by certain readers as uh, Milton, in fact, praising the revolutionary because of his own revolutionary background. And this was a tradition that the Romantics picked up on, uh, but they uh, focused specifically on the figure of Lucifer and started producing texts of their own where they reworked this character into a sort of icon of revolution. Uh, and this became an established theme in literature, and it spread all across Europe, and subsequently was picked up on uh, by socialists of various stripes uh, all across the continent. Um, and at this time, of course, it's just Satanism Satanism in the broad sense, right? So it's not Satanism as a whole system of thought, thought just focusing specifically on Satan. It's just part of a, a reservoir of sort of subversive symbols being employed.
0: It's a cultural wave, in a way. It's a
1: cultural wave, absolutely. And of course, it is very much tied up with uh, the early history of secularism and secularization. Uh, So these figures were often uh, quite keen on um, getting rid of the the illness of the church and creating these counter-myths where they reinterpreted the devil as a positive figure. Um, Romantic authors like Shelley actively sought to destabilize the mythology of Christianity that he felt was one of the, the pillars uh, supporting the, the present order that he wanted to tear down, right? Uh, so that, that's the sort of early roots of Satanism. Uh, but at this point, no one in an esoteric context was saying anything particularly positive about Satan. Um, that's a much later development, almost 100 years later, in fact. Uh, and we find the first sort of tendencies in that direction, in some of the writings of Eliphas Levi, where he identifies uh, this quite complicated concept uh, in his cosmology called the astral light, he identifies that with well, with a lot of things, with the Holy Spirit, but also with Lucifer. And there's a like a, a tiny opening there in the direction of an esoteric Satanism. Now, of course, Eliphas Levi considered him, himself a Christian, and his Luciferian sympathies are embedded within a generally Christian uh, framework, Um, but later on other esoteric writers would pick up on this notion and turn it into something more fully-fledged. And one of those, or actually the key figure in this context, was uh, Helena Petrovna Blavatsky, um, one of the the founders of the Theosophical Society and its first uh, major uh, ideologue. And in Blavatsky's uh, perhaps most famous work, The Secret Doctrine, from 1888, um, there are several passages where she um, makes a radical reinterpretation of the figure of the devil. And what's interesting here is that uh, she uses the names um, Satan, Lucifer and the devil interchangeably. So it's it's clearly the same figure to her uh, in these passages. And what she presents is a a drastic reinterpretation of the fall of man, so the events in the Garden of Eden, the eating of the forbidden fruit. And this is also interesting because this was such a key passage in um, the discourse of uh, Christianity that sought to keep women in their place. Of course, you know the story with the, the eating of the forbidden fruit, and how Eve was the first to accept the forbidden fruit from from the devil or from the serpent actually in the biblical narrative which was later on identified in Christian theology as the devil uh, and because of this Eve was seen as um, weaker and more susceptible to the guiles of the devil uh, than her male counterpart but with Blavatsky this narrative is turned on its head so the um, the punishments meted out to Eve would no longer be fair punishments, for example, that she would um, give birth to children in great pain and things like that. And this had been used politically by, um, for example, medical doctors arguing for not uh, administering um, pain relief to women giving birth because this was supposed to be a punishment for God for Eve's transgression. Quite horrible. Uh, And this was also used um, in the rhetoric of witch-hunters uh, and inquisitors, like the, the authors of the, the infamous Maleus Maleficarum, uh, who also argued that, that women woman was particularly susceptible Satania. to the Satanic. Um, so this had had drastic consequences in, in European history, of course. Now Blavatsky then, she turns the story in his head. She says that Satan is not our enemy. Satan is the, the bringer of Gnosis. The serpent gives us a fantastic gift setting our cosmic evolution uh, in motion. Uh, He is a bringer of esoteric wisdom. So that's a completely different story. And of course, this also reframes Eve's role in this drama. And quite a few early uh, theosophical women picked up on this and saw the the implications of what Blavatsky was doing here. Uh, And they used this in their own attacks on patriarchal Christianity, uh, used this counter myth that Lavatsky came up with but in terms of the history of esotericism what Lavatsky did here was that she established a tradition of esoteric Satanism now I I would never call Madame Lavatsky a Satanist because she's she's definitely not in the strict sense if you look at her writings if there's a a figure that she uh, repeatedly returns to and praises it would be uh, the Buddha
0: Mm. so
1: it's not Satan and in that sense, of course, it, it's not a satanic system of thought at all. But um, it laid the foundations. It laid the foundations, exactly.
0: Mm. Yeah, especially the theoretical foundations to, for esoteric Satanism.
1: Yes, definitely. On the other hand, then, if you want to find a uh, complete system of satanic thought, someone who was consistently using the symbol of the devil, then we have to move ahead a few years in time. Uh, and also shift location to Berlin, where we find a a very curious character called Stanisław Pyszabyszewski, who was a Polish decadent, uh, proto-expressionist author, uh, also an art critic and a very important figure in the art world, um, who formulated a system of satanic thought, where Satan was the, the central symbol, a symbol of creativity and of evolution, so in a way similar to Blavatsky, even though he didn't particularly like Blavatsky, actually. Um, so that, that is what I would say, the first system of satanic thought. So in a strict sense, then Stanislav Pyshebyshevsky would have been the first satanist.
0: Hmm. And when did um, the historic satanism, um, so after him, how did it develop?
1: Um, I mean Stannislav Pbusshevsky was was really interested in the occult um, in parapsychology and especially in sort of uh, medieval black magic and things like that but he was quite dismissive of most of the esoteric traditions of his own day so um, his system was not really a, an esoteric system of satanism uh, but rather something a bit in between uh, and if we're we're thinking of a well-developed satanic esoteric system of thought Um, then that only happens again a few years later and this time in Copenhagen where there is a fairly obscure local eccentric called uh, Ben Kadosh his real name was Carl William Hansen who was a member of a great variety of uh, initiatory societies and Masonic orders and things like that you could almost say that he sort of collected degrees in in various um, esoteric orders and he came up with a system an esoteric system of thought that he presented in a pamphlet um, that he sought to distribute widely um, where he uh, places satan as the central figure in an esoteric system and of course we know that his ambition was to recruit people for his satanic circle but it's, it's quite uncertain how many people actually did participate in the activities We know that he had a few adherents uh, and there's some some rather uh, wonderful visual material produced by members of this circle that's that's preserved at the the Royal Library in Copenhagen. Uh, So we know there was some activity going on, um, but uh, we don't really have that many details. Mm -hmm. So that I would say is the first satanic organization in a sense, but of course, it's a a minuscule one. Uh, And then if we move a little bit further ahead in time. Uh, We find in Germany a group called Fraternitas Saturni, the Brotherhood of Saturn. And this group is uh, perhaps not one that you could describe as satanic per se, but they did identify uh, Saturn, the central symbol of the order, with Satan, and perceived Satan as a sort of uh, initiator um, in the tradition of, of Blavatsky. And in this group, they also celebrated a type of Luciferian uh, masses. So they had some sort of ritual practice going, and they had this identification of their primary symbol Saturn with Satan. And um, we could at least say that in this fairly well populated order, there was some Satanic content, Mm -hmm. even though they were working with a a lot of symbols and, and entities simultaneously. And then in the 1930s, we have the first instance of a more or less public satanic esoteric group, which was run uh, by a woman called Maria Denaglovska. And this group organized uh, a type of black masses that were almost like um, theatrical events uh, to which the the general public could have access by paying a fee. Um, And she also published a magazine detailing her rather idiosyncratic uh, esoteric uh, satanic idea and i would put ideas and i would put that within quotation marks uh, because her ideas are also um so very much anchored in a christian worldview where satan is actually primarily uh, an important part of god's plan so that's his function it's, it's not really uh, the lauding of satan that's that comes to the fore but rather the the important function that satan supposedly has in god's grander plan and then there are several other uh, smaller groups, um, for example one in the um, I think late 50s or early 60s in Toledo, Ohio in the United States, and all these groups predate what would be often perceived as the, the foundation of modern Satanism uh, with um, the 1966 founding of the Church of Satan in California by Anton LaVey, and I think The rest of the story is a bit more well-known, but this early history of Satanism has been fairly obscure up until quite recently.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think that uh, now people tend to distinguish um, between theistic and atheistic Satanism. Mm. Um, Would you make the same distinction when it comes to the contemporary satanic milieu, or do you think that it is an oversimplification?
1: It is to some degree an oversimplification, Uh, if you look at someone like like Anton LaVey. um, Of course he is primarily an atheist, but there are also some passages that can be seen as a possible leakage of a theistic tendency into his Satanism, where he speaks, for example, of of, uh, Satan as a dark force in nature. Uh, But on the whole, it's an an atheistic system, and this is something that has been, been very much emphasized by um, those handling Lavey's legacy and, and, and uh, taking the, the Church of Satan into into our century, um, but I mean these distinctions uh, for me as a scholar are just something that we would have to on a case to case basis decide what's useful for what we want to do as scholars, right? So
0: um, yeah, that's always the distinction between the emic and the attic. Yes. Yeah. Um, that. Um, yeah, I will put it on screen <laughs> what the definition is. Mm. But yeah, the Amic perspective is how insiders, how practitioners would define themselves. And the ethic perspective, or the ethic definition, is how scholars would define what practitioners do, and in some cases, the two are not <laughs> the same.
1: No, absolutely, there can be a discrepancy. Uh, but in some cases, depending on what you want to do in your scholarly project, it might be better to just stick with the, the academic definitions and not not come up with a definition of your own. Uh, it all depends on what what goals you have set for yourself for that specific project.
0: Hmm and i was also interested in knowing about the relation between uh, satanism and um, the left-hand path Mm. yesterday we were mentioning that and the connection with kind grant
1: sure i mean that's a a complicated history and um to some degree um, the left-hand path can be perceived as a an umbrella term that will also encompass satanism but the interpretation of the left-hand path which is of course an indian concept to begin with um, in in this western occult milieu is something that partly uh, must be understood against the background of satanism in in a way it's a post-satanic development so uh, Anton LaVey for example uses the term left-hand path and it's also something that's present in popular culture uh, before LaVey as um, Like an alternative name on on Satanism. So you find that in Dennis Wheatley, the the British author of of, um, uh, occult-inspired trashy fiction. He uses that uh, in his fiction and um, the term itself doesn't really become broadly used within the esoteric milieu as a self-description until um, actually a bit later after LaVey. Uh, came up with, with the term in the first place in, in the Satanic Bible. Uh, it had been floating around, obviously, for example in theosophy, but theosophy pretty much used the term as a, a derogatory one, um, inspired by colonial constructs of the left-hand path as a sort of antinomian, transgressive, negative practice that they um, really would, would not recommend any proper theosophist to to engage with. Um, But uh, an author like Kenneth Grant, uh, who was, of course, uh, one of Alistair Crowley's disciples, um, incorporated this into his uh, magical texts and began using this as a a more or less positive self-designation. And he sort of mixed uh, this up with uh, both concepts from from Indian Tantra and also various uh, Western antinomian traditions and dark transgressive figures. And in this context, we could say that uh, the left-hand path is a type of esoteric spirituality um, that tends to focus on these dark antinomian symbols and and entities. And it is also very often connected to the notion of self-deification. So an esoteric practice employing dark antinomian symbolism focused on self-deification. And in that sense, uh, something like Anton LaVey's Church of Satan would would fit perfectly well um, with the definition. Um, But it's something that becomes more um, stressed in terms of terminology in uh, groups that arose from the Church of Satan, like the Temple of Set, uh, the group that uh, broke off from uh, the Church of Satan in 1975. Uh, where the, the theme of self-deification, which was present in the Church of Satan, but in, in a more secular um, secular manner, uh, now became something uh, of a, a metaphysical, um, esoteric project, uh, an actual literal self-deification. You would turn yourself into a living God or become a god after the, the death of your physical body.
0: Mm. Yeah, there are contemporary practitioners that have, you know, the become a living God, um, yeah, uh, sort of (laughs) statement as part of their practice.
1: Sure. Mm.
0: So basically, it's not really that um, Satanism comes out of the left-hand path, but more like the left-hand path developed out of Satanism.
1: To some degree, we could see it as a post-Satanic development, uh, even though the term was floating around with people like Kenneth Grant prior to that.
0: Mm. And uh, what are the, um, the, the forms of Satanism that are contemporary present at the moment?
1: Uh, of course, we still have um, a strong Church of Satan presence, um, but there are so many varieties. Uh, it's a really rich field of study because of that. And that's one of the first things you always have to explain to students or journalists that there's not just one form of Satanism, um, because you will often get questions like, so is, is, is it like this in Satanism? And then you have to explain that there are you know, various mm, Satanisms, yeah. so in, in the plural. Um, but of course, we have the, the Church of Satan still around. We have the uh, Church of Satan offshoot Templar set. Which perhaps should not be designated Satanism proper because of their um, reframing of the figure of Satan using different terminology, um, and we have um, the quite peculiar form of Satanism that arose in the Nordic countries in the late 80s, early 90s with the the black metal Satanism, which is extremely antisocial and, and transgressive, um, which was famously connected to to uh, several murders and and um, a great number of church burnings in the the Scandinavian countries in the the early 1990s. And this is a very strongly theistic form of Satanism. Um, Also emphasizing Satan as an evil figure, which is quite interesting because that's something you don't often find in Satanism generally. Most Satanists would consider uh, the devil to be the good guy. Uh, But these folks instead um, emphasize the the evil nature of Satan and embrace that. And then we have um, the politically progressive Satanism that is now taking the world by storm, uh, and I would say that that's probably the um, the biggest form of Satanism today. Mm-hmm. It's something that that's uh, growing at a an immense pace, uh, and which has a real impact as well uh, in more mainstream contexts in a way that we haven't haven't really seen with Satanism in quite a while.
0: Mm-hmm. And um, do you think that Satanism is necessarily Christian or linked to Christianity? I'm thinking about this because there is, I'm aware that there is a controversy uh, in in Italy, because there is a group of Satanists that would like to be defined as pagans. And, um, you know, the pagan community doesn't want to accept them as pagans. And that is perhaps a different matter whether they you know they classify as pagans or not and I I would say they don't and I know that you agree because we had a private conversation about this mm. um, but um, that just the, it made me think because one of the arguments that the pagan community was using was that satanism is uh, inherently linked to christianity because since christianity invented satan then there wouldn't be any satanism without christianity so do you think that satanism is inherently and inextricably linked to christianity or would you disagree with that
1: i would say historically it's quite obvious that it 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 appears as a a counter discourse in opposition direct opposition to christianity that that's the roots of satanism um on the other Mm -hmm. hand there have been attempts by by satanists to free themselves from this um, and in many cases this has been done using a, a reframing of the figure of Satan uh, the Temple of Set would be an example of that and in one sense you could say that the Temple of Set is a, a, um, a pagan or neo-pagan group uh, because they're using the um the Egyptian God set instead of Satan uh, claiming that um, the Prince of Darkness formerly known as Satan Um, conveyed to the the group's founder, Michael Aquino, that he did no longer wish to be known by the name of a Hebrew fiend, but rather by the um, the name of his first manifestation to mankind, which would have been set in ancient Egypt. Um, So, in a way, they still retain the identification of this entity with Satan, but they reframe it, um, employing this ancient Egyptian name instead, so, I mean, it's, it's not a clear-cut issue in any way, but generally speaking, I would say that it's it's difficult to entirely divorce um, Satanism using the name Satan uh, as their primary focus from, from Christianity.
0: Hmm. And perhaps one could also argue that there are elements of uh, paganism that are still Christian and sure. they have been sort of uh, employed by pagans anyway. But yeah, that's a it's a different topic, I guess. Mm. And then I wanted to ask you about uh, the difference between, because you know, so far we've been talking about Satan with um, as equivalent to the devil and Lucifer. But I know that I will get comments about this because I have a few other videos on Satanism, and one of the recurring comments was, "Oh, you're using Satanism and Satan um, as synonymous uh, to." Uh, the the devil and Lucifer, but they are different entities. So I am aware that there are practitioners that uh, see a difference between these entities. So uh, could you expand more on that?
1: Mm, Absolutely. Um, Even with, for example, theosophy, um, there were attempts by theosophists to divorce uh, these figures from each other. Um, As is well known, the Theosophical Society published a, a, um, a journal called Lucifer, and in the, the editorial for the first issue, um, they're quite adamant that this is not the devil, that's not where they got this name from, it's Lucifer, the, the bringer of light. On the other hand, in the same editorial, there are uh, references to the, the noble rebel of Milton and, and such things that make it quite clear that it's, it's, there's still a connection being retained here. And if we look at Blavatsky's writings, that connection is, is still there. So it's, it's a bit of a, um, a way of perhaps keeping your, your back free um in, in anticipation of the, of the criticism that you expect but at the same time of course if you choose a name like lucifer you want to to taunt the christians somehow right so it's, it's uh, intended to be a provocation um and i think it's it's pretty much the same way with with most groups using the figure of lucifer and saying uh, of course this is not the christian devil it's, it's a different entity but of course you could have gone with a different figure or a symbol or uh, or name for it you're, you're still you still want to sort of provoke in a sense um but i mean it, it's it's a matter of, of theology within these these groups and it's not my my role as a scholar to say that that it's it's wrong or right to to divorce the figure Lucifer from from satan um, if they uh, interpret the uh, the entity that way that's that's their prerogative of course uh, and i'm only here to, to analyze that uh, perhaps look at the, the underlying reasons why they would. Yeah, that yeah, choice. that's what
0: I was interested in—the underlying reasons as to you know why practitioners separate uh, Lucifer from Satan from the devil.
1: Sure, but I mean, often it's it's because they want to um, distance themselves from some of the the negative symbolism attached to the figure of Satan, um, and perhaps they want to put an, an emphasis on the. Uh, initiatory aspect and the the light bringer symbolism uh, rather than all the the dark stuff that's also bound up with Satan historically Mm -hmm. um so that could be one reason
0: um uh, could it also be that uh, in some cases they want to divorce the figure from Christianity or highlight uh...
1: sure absolutely and it's it's used that way for example in the um, uh, the various currents that have been, been labelled um, Luciferian witchcraft. Um we, we another thing that I wanted there. to
0: talk about. <laughs> yeah, we
1: can see that tendency very much uh, within those groups. Um, but of course, the, the rhetoric of, of Christianity having uh, somehow twisted originally pagan figures into Uh, satanic, demonic things, that's something that's present within satanism as well. You find it with with Anton LaVey, he he says the same thing in the Satanic Bible about the figure of Lucifer, actually.
0: Hmm. Can you talk about Luciferian witchcraft? What is Luciferian witchcraft and um, when uh, and how they start?
1: Sure. Um, Again, this is something that that is, um, there's a, a variety of forms and it's, it's sometimes difficult to make uh, general statements about this. Um, but if we look at the sort of historical development of this phenomenon, we find that um, it, it comes really as a reaction to Wicca quite early on, uh, in like in the late 50s, uh, when various sort of competitors to Gerald Gardner started appearing on the, the Wiccan scene, um, trying to create uh, legitimacy for themselves and their tradition, by making claims of, for example, being hereditary witches, who represented something more ancient than the the stuff that Gardner came up with. And uh, with some of these figures, there was a a, um, a turn towards folk magic and also darker forms of folk magic, uh, which would sometimes then encompass the figure of the devil um, in some sense. And um, there are several figures who um, work with this, but there wasn't really sort of a tradition being formulated very clearly at this time. But but these ideas seem to have been floating around in that, shall we say, early post Wiccan or um, alternative Wiccan milieu. And um, this later on became more well known to the to the general public, uh, I would say primarily with the the 1970 um, publication of um, Paul Hewson's book Mastering Witchcraft. Uh, And this book combined uh, what is clearly Wiccan material with things taken from more, uh, shall we say, high magic or ceremonial magic and also some satanic content. For example, there's a a ritual of self initiation in that book, um, where you're supposed to read the Lord's Prayer backwards. Mm. So that's, that's quite blasphemous. Um, And that was something that others also picked up on there's, for example, a a small Swedish book that came out a few years later that that picked that ritual up and and incorporated it into a a sort of Wiccan context. Um, So that's, that's one of the, the main impulses for this. But then a lot of people started uh, working with this, this type of, of combination of, of witchcraft and, and elements from Wicca and ceremonial magic and folk magic and some satanic symbolism. Uh, people like uh, Michael Howard um, and, of course, Andrew Chumbly and the whole tradition of, of sabbatic witchcraft, which also drew on, on Austin Osman Spare, and Osman uh, and especially the, the symbolism of the, the witch's Sabbath and, and a sort of Shamanistic, if you will, um, take on on what witchcraft is, um, and this then involved the whole symbolism of um, the um, the devilish sabbatical rites uh, that are known from the from the early modern period, uh, but of course reinterpreted the whole thing into something something different, but retained some of the, the satanic symbolism of this.
0: Mm. And what do Luciferian witches do?
1: Well, I mean, do, again, it's it's such a do they follow
0: the Wheel of the Year or it's
1: such a diverse set of traditions that it's 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 really impossible to to make a general blanket statement. Uh, but yeah, definitely some of them do, and and um, a lot of these traditions retain a lot of the the ritual structure and symbolism from Wicca.
0: So is it a combination of Wicca ceremonial high magic um, with a uh, with, the, with Lucifer at the center as a core deity?
1: Um, in some cases it is, uh, and in some cases it's, it's rather the case of um, having having the devil um, or a Lucifer with, with clear traits of, of the satanic um, as part of a, a larger pantheon. So it's not necessarily so that, that uh, Satan is sort of uh, center stage. Deity. No, I wouldn't really say that. Uh, and also with the, the um, ceremonial high magic thing, uh, which is, of course, a, a bit of an arbitrary distinction. But uh, even with that, uh, many of these traditions have come to emphasize folk magic much more. So sort of the, um, the uh, magical practices of, of uh, cunning folk from the mm-hmm. traditional agrarian European societies. Um, so um, there are so many different strands within this this broader tradition of of Luciferian witchcraft. And there are also differences between uh, the US and the UK and and other countries as well.
0: Mm. And in Luciferian witchcraft, do they um, employ the the figure, the entity of Lucifer in a, a theosophical sense, like the bringer of the light or as a rebellious figure? There can, there can be
1: a, a bit of both. Um, and, and of course, with, with the figure of Lucifer as a, a bringer of Gnosis, that also goes back to, to ancient Gnosticism. And that's something that, that Madame Lavatsky refers to quite a lot in her work, um, this uh, supposed reinterpretation by Gnostics of the serpent as a bringer of Gnosis, um, which we can find in some actual Gnostic texts, but where the, shall we say, satanic connotations of this, were of course, very much overemphasized by um, the, uh, the early church fathers who, who wrote uh, texts about what, what the Gnostics were up to. Uh, so that's a tradition that's present, um, but there are also these sort of uh, folk magic traditions uh, that really have very little to do with um, something like Theosophy or, or Gnosticism. Uh, folk traditions where the, the devil would be a figure you could could turn to for magical purposes to get help in specific situations where where God or the church would, would be very unlikely to help you. Um, for example, this thing with uh, with childbirth, where women were supposed to give, give birth in, in great pain as a, a punishment made out by God, um, you find in, in many um, countries uh, folk medical practices where you turn to the devil for help uh, to alleviate your pain during childbirth. Of course, often according to folklore, with with horrible consequences, your your, um, your firstborn son would become a werewolf, things <laughs> like that.
0: Yeah. And wh- and and why would the women do it anyway if they if they if they believe that uh, the firstborn child would turn into a werewolf? Why well, would they still resort to, to the devil to help them with the pain?
1: One one interpretation could be that it was out of desperation. Another one could be that there's a disconnect between the the actual practices and um, and beliefs surrounding these specific rites, and then the people who would um, would have helped out with that, uh, and the shall we say uh, more uh, legendary elements in folklore, uh, sort of the tales spun around these practices as as um, something you'd tell around the campfire.
0: Mm. Oh, this is really interesting. I I'm, I really enjoy this conversation. Thank you very much, Pe for for being here on Angela Symposium. And um, yeah, obviously for you guys um, watching this interview, let me know in the comment section what you think about what we said. Whether you have questions, I I will do my best to to answer them. And don't forget to check the info box also for uh, contact details and uh, the. Um, and, and Paris publications. So thank you very much for being here on Angela's symposium.
1: Thank you for having me, Angela. <laughs> so as a, a bonus to this interview, I thought I would read you a short story and it's a, a short story written by me. Um, aside from my scholarly career, I also write fiction. and in my debut collection of short stories, The Tree of Sacrifice, which came out in 2020, there are quite a few stories drawing on folk magical and satanic symbolism. So this is a story which is called The Annihilator, and somewhat unromantically I have it as a pdf, the English translation here on my my phone, so I will read it to you from my phone. The forests surrounding Huitmo mountain burnt down in 1834. Everything was consumed, save for a few resilient pines with deep roots which remained, charred and mangled. Most of the forest floor itself had been destroyed, and all the animals were gone. For a long time thereafter, No birds were heard. They avoided the lifeless area and did not fly into it. Eventually, a few species of plants started to grow. Morals and certain mushrooms flourished in the ashes. Liverwort slowly began to rise up, but the people, like the birds, kept their distance. It was known that the burnt forest was dangerous. The remaining trees could fall, silently and without warning. Below the ground there could, several months later, still be hollows filled with burning coals that one might step in. Only two people entered despite this, the hair-lipped 12-year-old Isaac and his 10-year-old friend Albertina, who had water on the brain. They were such that their families preferred not to see them. So they stuck together and sought seclusion wherever it might be found. The dead forest was an ideal playground, far away from the other children's cruel taunts and hurled clods of dirt. Albertina had vivid dreams which she would relate to Isaac. He took them in deadly earnest and considered her a prophetess. Ever since they had begun spending their days among the charred trees and ashes, she had dreamt of a figure called the Annihilator. He resembled the devil from the church murals, black and hunched with horns. In these dreams, he moved across the land alongside the forest fires. After the fires, he would allow something new, like the morals and liverwort, to begin to grow where the old life-forms had been annihilated. The children began to speculate if something similar could be done for human beings. They decided. To set another forest fire and let themselves be consumed by it in the hope of being resurrected in new faultless bodies one early morning they gathered baskets full of birch bark in the forest close to the village they laid it out in circles around old dried up broadleaf trees isaac had stolen a hymn book from the church from which they now ripped out pages and set them on fire. The children ignited the birch bark with the burning song verses, and soon the trees also burned. It was not long before the fire approached the village. The heat and smoke made them dizzy. Their eyes watered. Through the tears, they could suddenly see the Annihilator standing in the midst of the flames. He smiled softly and reached his hand out towards them. They grasped it it gratefully and followed him. To their great surprise, the fire did not burn them. It felt like soft caresses. The Annihilator told them that they were not the ones who would be consumed by the flames. Isaac and Albertina were perfect just as they were. However, all the people in the village who had rejected them would be turned to ashes and coal. Other better people would take their places. The children were at first saddened that this included their parents, but remembered all the beatings and harsh words that they had received from them. Thus. They laughed along with a hunched, friendly figure as farm by farm disappeared into the rolling sea of flames. The people's screams became a wonderful hymn to their ears. And never again did Isaac or Albertina wish for faultless bodies.
0: This is it for today's video. If you like my content and want me to keep the academic fun going, please consider supporting my work with a one-off PayPal donation, by joining memberships, or my Inner Symposium on Patreon, where you will get access to our Discord server, monthly lectures, and lots of other perks, depending on your chosen tier. And if you did like this video, don't forget to smash the like button, subscribe to the channel, activate the notification bell so that you will never miss a new upload from me, and leave a comment and share this video with your friends because that's how we create a community and that's how we grow as a community so I really appreciate if you do that and as always stay tuned for all the academic fun bye for now